This podcast is an examination of the historical research of William Branham and his message cult following. William Branham was a minister in the gambling town of Jeffersonville, Indiana, just across the river from Louisville, Kentucky, as early as 1933. He came in contact with the Reverend Roy E. Davis, an official spokesperson for the 1915 Ku Klux Klan, and later Imperial Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. Davis introduced Branham to the Pentecostal faith and the art of faith healing, which would later be introduced into Branham's stage persona as he took his place among the evangelists in the post-World War II healing revival. Branham is credited by some as being a catalyst for the Latter Rain Movement and Jim Jones of People's Temple. This podcast is not sympathetic to the views of the Ku Klux Klan that William Branham held, but it is disturbing and warrants research. This podcast is an examination of that research. You can find more about this research and other topics on the website william-branham.org. Join us as we turn back the pages of time and examine the controversial issues of William Branham and his message. I was recently shown a video of a youth meeting for children of the cult of William Branham. And the point of interest was one of the cult pastors choosing two children from the audience, making them prance around stage behind him, each pretending to be a word. One child was signs, and the other child was wonders. And the pastor himself was pretending to believe. His message to the children in the audience were, was that signs and wonders will follow them that believe. And this struck me as odd because Jesus himself said that an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. But this cult pastor had added to the word wonders to the equation, loosely quoting from Mark 16. Mark 16 does mention signs that follow believers but it does not mention wonders. The actual text says, And these signs will accompany those that believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. This reminded me of one of my favorite sermons by William Branham, the cult leader. Looking back, I realized that my heart was not in the right place as I eagerly listened to this sermon as a child. But the heart of a child is captured by all things magic. In the very first sermon that's on recorded tape called Faith is the Substance, William Branham tells a story of how he used his faith to move a bracelet that was hanging from a string. And I'm sure that all of the children in the congregation of this sermon were just as captured by this magic as I was, and probably even some of the little old ladies who had never seen this trick performed. I do wonder about the children, though, especially the ones who grew up and discovered how the magician softly blows through an open side of his mouth and then performs great signs and wonders for other children who are not looking for Christ. Why would they need God if an atheist in college can perform the same trick? 
And the atheist will even tell you how he did it. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with faith, and I do believe that faith can move mountains. So long as there is a need strong enough to move it. I do not believe that we're called to go around staring at mountains, trying to faith it to the other side, like the power of the force in Star Wars. <clears throat> you see, when your faith turns into sorcery, whenever we do these things and we try to do it by our own power, when we try to do signs and wonders without intervention from God of heaven, we're trying to be sorcerers like the evil Saruman of Lord of the Rings. <clears throat> We're trying to become the bad guys, not the good guys. Even though Hollywood is so far distanced from God, we find that many of our movies give us the same message. They are written from books which give the same message, many of which came from authors who actually read their Bibles. Sorcery is demonic, and it was condemned under Mosaic law. Those who went around holding strings with bracelets to do the same trick on the children of Israel, <clears throat> tricking them into believing they had great power, they were the ones that were stoned to death. But in the day that we're living, <clears throat> we've not witnessed the great signs and wonders that God did as he was creating the church. We did not witness the Red Sea parting. We did not witness the walls crumbling down from simply marching around them seven times. We did not witness Jesus walking on the water or turning the water into wine. More to the point, we did not witness what the pagan Gentiles witnessed as the early church was spreading Christianity. When God comes onto the scene to show the nations serving other gods that He is the supreme God, and according to Scripture, he does great signs and wonders before the people. <clears throat> he will take a people that are familiar with the sorcery and the magic of the pagan temples and show them that he is far more powerful and convince them to leave their idolatry to serve the one true God. <clears throat> All throughout the Bible, we have examples of this. When God turns a people from serving idols, there are signs and wonders. The people need to be convinced in order to break the bonds that mentally hold them to their magic. But notice also, after the people have turned to the one true God, and then God no longer needs to show them His power and His might. After He fills their hearts with His love, that is perfect love that holds them and draws them closer to God not the signs and wonders. But the divine healing movement <clears throat> that started with John Alexander Dowie of Zion City and then was restarted with William Branham seemed to take the opposing standpoint. In fact, if you show a follower of the cult of William Branham any of the failed prophecies, he'll look you straight in the eye and say, he is a vindicated prophet. He could heal. This movement, by nature, is what Paul would call worldly. Not the word worldly used by the same definition as the Pentecostals to describe things that did not agree with their rules or their theology. But I'm talking about the Greek word, 
cosmicus, which describe the things that pertain to this world instead of the heavenly things. In Titus chapter 2, Paul writes, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bondservants servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldliness, cosmicus, passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. It's Titus 2, 7 through 13. <clears throat> when the apostles and the missionaries were spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ to the temples filled with magic, God knew that their minds were focused on the things of this earth, not the heavenly things. So in other order to pull them out of their idolatry, God also gave them earthly signs and wonders to witness. Healing was a sign. It was used by God to help bring others to Christ. And there are examples of it in Scripture. But healing focuses on this earthly body, not the heavenly soul, not the heavenly body. Healing is a blessing from God, a blessing that God still uses today for His glory. But our focus cannot be on the earthly body. It must be on the heavenly things. It must be on our soul. And not only our soul, but the others all around us. <clears throat> Paul even gives examples of this in Scripture. Though Paul administered healing from God to many, we find that he did not go around showing great signs and wonders to the saved unless it was for God's own purpose. He did not heal Trophimus. He says in 2 Timothy 4.20, Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Trophimus I have left in Miletus sick. When Timothy fell sick, Paul did not send brothers to lay hands on him and to administer healing from the Lord. Paul knew that there was a medicine that Timothy could take to get better, a medicine that is strictly condemned by the cult of William Branham. Paul says this, 1 Timothy 5.23, No longer only drink water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and for your frequent infirmities. But the divine healing movement that was kick-started by William Branham and that has produced the likes of Benny Hinn and others, they do not take the same approach. Everyone can be healed. All you need is to have faith. Keep the faith or you will lose your healing. These ministers do not point to God for healing. If they did, they would not have a single follower. Because the people would know that they could go directly to the source. Instead, we have the followers of Benny Hinn, 
the followers of Oral Roberts, the followers of William Branham. As missionaries are sent, they are converted to the message or some other agenda, not conversions to Christ. That is because the fundamental element to the healing is the man behind the podium. Without him, these hundreds of people would surely die from their sickness. The medicine the doctor gave them has nothing to do with the healing. It's me, the man on the platform. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Before Branhamism turned into a cult following, William Branham tried to become Sauron. He wanted the people to believe in him for the healing. Even the second commission story that he gives, he invented an idea that gave the, the exact same message to the people. If you can get the people to believe in you, William Branham, nothing will stand in your way, not even cancer. Branham even promoted himself as the one with the power, again, bypassing God. It's almost as if he's standing on the platform between the followers and their Bibles with his arms stretched open wide in a long white robe and a crooked stick screaming, You shall not pass! <laughs> After giving the example of the magician's trick with a string, Branham tells the people this. He says, I'll take any cross-eyed cross child you've got in this meeting you bring it up to, to me here. And he says this, listen, without even praying for it, just let me look at it straight in the eyes like that and I'll make his eyes come straight. His faith is the substance, the very first sermon recorded. If people only knew how damaging this was, how damaging and worldly that this focus on divine healing is, they would abandon it and go back to their Bibles. God does heal, and God does use us to lead other souls to Him. But what about the poor soul that is held captive by this magician, who lives their entire lives condemned because they think they must not be good enough for God to heal them? What about the brother in Arizona who lived his entire life looking forward to the day that he would say the right thing and then stand up out of his wheelchair to walk? What about the mother in the bed, dying, whose children are right by her bedside, being told that she will live and not die? Do we really think that these children will not be strongly shaken in their faith when they watch their mother die? Worse, what about the poor soul who refuses medicine? so that they can have a greater testimony of their faith. The one who goes through the prayer line suffering, when a simple injection could save their lives. What impact does that have on the entire church when they die from their denial of the cure? Is this the type of ministry that God wants? God is not calling a group of wizards. We will not be reigning in a fantasy land with an all-seeing eye that's connected to a crystal ball. We will not be walking around the edges of the world so that we can move strings. And we'll not be walking around trying to show other wizards how we can move strings further than they can. God is calling a church. 
He's calling a people that will serve him. Even if their one single calling in life is pain and suffering. He is calling a person that will stand by his side, even if that means that they will die from cancer just to save another soul. God cares enough about that one soul that in his sovereignty, he is willing to do anything to save it. And he doesn't, it's not that he doesn't care about the person who's sick and dying. He cares. As this divine healing, this divine healing movement teaches you otherwise, but God does care for you. He cares for the soul, though. He cares for the heavenly portion, not the worldly thing. This body, this flesh, will one day cease to breathe. But when this body puts on immortality, the soul will live forever. Don't you want to do everything that you can to bring another soul with you? Don't you want to endure your trials with peace and with joy as he did for us? Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Too many times I think people have been misled into thinking, take up thy string on thine bracelet and make it move. They have not been taught the true gospel of Jesus Christ. I think that the number one reason that so many turn atheists is exactly this. So many turn atheists after experiencing the divine healing false doctrine. If you notice, the number one reason that they claim to have turned away from God is because that there are so many sick and dying in the world. Their question is always this, why would God, who holds the keys to everything, care so little about us that he would let entire countries starve to death and sickness claim thousands each day? You see, they've never been told the real gospel of Jesus Christ. They have never experienced that peace. They've never had Christ as their foundation. Instead, they have a man who can move a string. 